This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Well, welcome to the Jason in the House podcast. Uh, really glad you could join us. This is going to be fun. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about the news. We're going to highlight the stupid because, you know, there's always somebody doing something stupid somewhere. And then we have somebody I'm guessing probably haven't heard a whole lot from. Uh, Francis Suarez is the uh, mayor of Miami, but he's also thrown his hat into the ring to run for president. And so I... I haven't spoken with them before. I haven't had a discussion with them. Don't know anything about his background, but that's what we're going to do today. Uh, he's certainly uh, rising in the ranks, and uh, they're uh, being the mayor of one of the biggest, uh, most important cities uh, in our country. And we're going to talk to the mayor and learn a little bit more about him and what he wants to do, where he's going, and how he got there. Um, I'm always fascinated by the journey people take in order to get to you know that degree of uh, of a level in, in politics. And uh, so we're going to talk to uh, the good mayor of Miami uh, here in just, uh, just a moment. But I would like to comment a little bit on some of the things that are happening in the news. So let's get after that first. Um, and uh, this is kind of Western news, this part. Um, you know, we've had a couple of so-called attacks, or as one person said, a freak accident of bison that uh, attacked people. Now, I got to tell you, living out west in Utah, we have native bison. We have bison down by the Henry Mountains. Um, obviously, uh, I, if you've heard or know anything about me, I love spending time up in the Tetons and up in Yellowstone there in Wyoming and Montana, where these bison, as they did, you know, hundreds of years ago, roam free. And they are some of the most majestic, amazing animals. I mean, I think if if you had to find an animal that is symbolic of America and the American way, you have the bald eagle. And in my mind, you have the American bison. Uh, they're not buffalo, by the way. Uh, if you call them a buffalo, they're not buffaloes. Okay. Buffaloes are the things you find in Africa. Uh, these are bison. And the bison, they're big. They're ominous. And, uh, but when they decide to run and they decide to move, look out because they are way faster than anybody can give it credit for. And, uh, they'll just sitting, sitting there chewing some grass as serene as can be. It looks like, you know, maybe you could go up and approach them. Don't do it. Don't be one of those idiots that does that. Well, we had a couple of these people who got a little wee too close evidently to these, uh, these animals, uh, and now it gets phrased as, oh, it's a freak accident. Like, I don't want anybody to get hurt. I, I'm trying to say this because I, I, I'm not trying to mock somebody. Maybe somehow, some way it was a freak accident. But you get too close to these animals, they have a propensity to come after you. Even when you sit in a vehicle, sometimes they give you that look and that grunt. 
And the rut, which is the mating season, when the rut is going on from the kind of end of July through some part of August, oh, they get ornery. Those big bison, I'm just telling you, look out. Keep your distance. And don't tell me it's a freak accident. All right. The other thing I want to comment on, because I, I, I can't get enough of this story. I know it happened a little while ago. But the idea that people are coming unglued on Jason Aldean's song, Try That in a Small Town. I mean, I've listened to this. Jason Aldean's one of the most popular country music recording artists that there is. Um, he's got a tough image. Um, him and his wife, they're pretty vocal about things. And um, if you compare that, and I saw Charlie Kirk. I saw some others uh, do this as well. If you compare the lyrics of what Jason Aldean is saying that is saying in that compared to some of these other genres, which are so bad, so out of control, so X-rated in terms of of their approach, um, I'm just telling you, there's no comparison here. And uh, I actually think he makes that. I think he actually makes a good bright, a good point. Try that in a small town. There's a lot of parts of America, good old-fashioned small towns, who the residents know who's there. They, you know, you're just not going to blow into town and start shoplifting and doing all this stuff and and bullying your way around. You do that in a small town. The small town people are going to take care of business and make sure it doesn't happen anymore. And I'm not just talking about the local sheriff or you know the local law enforcement, which is the proper way to do things. But I'm just saying, I just don't think the residents would tolerate it the way things are happening in big cities. It's an interesting discussion. I think Jason Aldean has uh, a hit on his hands because he's tapped into something, but that's just my take on it. All right, time for the stupid because you know what? There's always somebody doing something stupid somewhere. All right, so I don't know who uh, to categorize this right in. I think it's more actually a reflection of reality. But when Joe Biden decided, or somebody smart at the White House decided, hey, you know what? Those big, long stairs up to the front of Air Force One, the president's just not able to negotiate that anymore. Let's have him get on the back of the plane where we can create a very short staircase. Now, maybe that's just one or two times, but it doesn't look like it, folks. It really looks like Joe Biden can't handle the big stairs. So they're going to give him the short stairs. And, oh, the metaphors and the comparisons to um, how symbolic this is of his presidency, his inability to negotiate simple stairs. The concern isn't his age. It's the concern that he doesn't have the vim and vigor to complete the job and do so as a compelling leader around the world. That's the concern. His cognitive capability has dwindled. His physical capabilities have dwindled. Uh, And just admit it. And maybe that's what the White House is doing, is just admitting that he doesn't have the gumption to even climb one flight of stairs and do so in a safe, coherent way. But I don't know. I don't know. So that's my take on it. That's a little bit of the stupid. All right. Time to move on. So, you know, we have uh, a number of people running for president, but Francis Suarez, 
Uh, his, his tagline is, it's time we get started. So I think the best way to do that is to uh, connect with them and dial them up. And uh, let's give a call to the mayor of Miami. Hello. Hey, Mayor, it's Jason Chaffetz. Hey, Jason, how are you? Good to hear from you. Thank you so much for joining us on this uh, Jason in the House podcast. Really do appreciate it. Hey, I don't think I've had a chance to to meet you. Shake your hand. I've, I, I know who you are from afar, but, um, you know, we really want to kind of get to know you, understand you. And so, I, you know, I want you to help introduce yourself and explain, you know, Go way back, like I was born in, and and walk us through your journey. And uh, I'll interrupt you from time to time. We'll have a discussion. But uh, I appreciate you joining us. You got it. And uh, look, thank you for the opportunity. I think uh, I've always said you never really know someone until you know their story. Yeah. And I think it's important to understand people's story because that shapes how they think, how they feel, how they make decisions, how they lead. Uh, and obviously, when they're running for president. You want to go as deep as you can to understand uh, people's motivations and how they're going to make uh, decisions in the future. So I was I was born in Miami, Florida. Um, I am the oldest of four. I have three younger sisters. I'm surrounded by powerful uh, women. Uh, my sisters are a, a lawyer, a doctor, and a, a human resource director. Uh, and uh, I was, uh, you know, uh, born to two Cuban exiles. My parents were uh, kicked out of their country of birth at 12 and 7 uh, by a leader who said to his people, give us all your property, give us all your businesses, and don't worry, we'll make everybody equal. And he did. He made everybody equally poor and equally miserable. <laughs> and so uh, that that's what shaped not just my story, but so many other people's story in uh, Miami uh, that have come from, you know, formerly uh, that, that have come from communist, current communist countries, uh, but that were formerly from those countries. And, and, and that's part of the reason why I think Miami is doing so well when uh, other cities across America are struggling. Right. I think, you know, the fact that we uh, were born out of that adversity, uh, the fact that, uh, you know, we had everything taken from us. Uh, we, we appreciate even more intimately uh, the idea of living in a country of freedom, of living in a country where your effort and your education and your uh, ingenuity and, and, and taking risk is what drives uh, the success uh, or failure of, of yourself and your family. And so uh, that's sort of the beginning point for me. Uh, born and raised, like I said, in this community. I'm the first mayor of Miami that was actually born in the city of Miami in over 120-year history. My really? Dad first, <laughs> yeah. My dad was the first Cuban mayor, and we're the first father and son. So it's 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 a really beautiful legacy, um, and uh, it's one I'm really proud of. So growing up in those early days, um, young sisters along, along with you, they kept coming along. Were you playing sports? Were you a uh, a tech geek. I mean, what what was life like when you early? Were you playing baseball? Were you? I mean, yeah. what were you doing when you were a little kid? I was a basketball player. Uh, my dad also played basketball growing up. Um, actually, uh, his brother, uh, who was a D Division One basketball player, unfortunately just passed a few days ago. Oh, um, sorry about we, that. We were, yeah, we, it was a basketball playing family, um, and I uh, I played ball um, all four years in high school. Uh, was all county the last two years, my junior year, my senior year. 
and um, you know, really enjoyed that. Um, what did you learn tennis. from basketball? What did, what did basketball teach you? You know, it taught me uh, a lot about leadership. Right. It. Uh, I was a point guard, so you know, I I helped run the offense. Um, I tried to make other people better. Um, so I, I, for me, I felt that the team was playing its best when I was able to uh, elevate the the play of the other players as well. Because, uh, you know, then they're more motivated to play defense. They're more plugged in on offense. And, uh, you know, and, and they just there's just generally a higher level of enthusiasm and effort. And so I think one of the things I learned was, was certainly um, uh, to try to help other people get better. I think the second part uh, was, you know, I think when you're a leader, you have to be comfortable taking the last shot and the pressure uh, that comes with that. And that's certainly something that I uh, was comfortable with and understanding that, in a leadership role, there's a lot of pressure and you have to manage pressure uh, right. as a means of being successful. So you're going along, you're playing basketball, but, you know, as you start to get into teen years, you, you know, your interests, you start to think, oh, I like this, I like that. Where, where was life taking you at that point? You know, I, I uh, kind of uh, was rambunctious uh, as, as a young man, you know, I, I, uh, enjoyed uh, obviously playing basketball. Like I said, I worked um, particularly in the summers, uh, I, and my parents always put an emphasis on on working, uh, which I thought was important to create a work ethic early on. But I like to have fun, you know. I like I had the same friends, uh, many of the same friends that I had in high school I have still today, which I think is a uh, um, important because I think that says something about the kind of person you are. Um, you know, it says things uh, regarding loyalty. It says things regarding the ability to maintain friendships uh, over a long period of time. Uh, and, and not everybody who runs for office uh, can say that. Not everyone who runs for office has those lifelong friendships that they that they can that they bring to the table. And I think, again, you know, in politics, uh, loyalty is important. Building relationships is very important, particularly when you consider foreign policy. Um, you know, you, you have to understand how to how to um, be a friend. Right. Uh, yeah. Friendship is a two way street. It's not a one way street. And I think oftentimes um, in diplomacy, um, we fail to realize that uh, there's got to be a, recipro a reciprocal relationship for it to work. Yeah. You got to create a win win or you yep. know, somebody's going to jump off and they're not going to do with, you know, some of that's done with coercion sometimes. But let's go back to your friends, though. What would they if they sat around the table and we had them here on this podcast and we said, all right, tell me, uh, tell me about France. Tell me what, tell, what's he really like? What, what would they say? I think they would say that I'm very hardworking. I think they would say uh, that I'm someone who's uh, focused a large part of my adult life trying to help other people. Um, I would hope that they would say that I'm someone who's ethical and someone who um, they can rely on, uh, someone right. who's always there yeah. in, in, a t in a time of need. Yeah, you're not going to have long-term friends if if you yeah. can't you can't count on a, a buddy, you know. Yeah. And uh, all right, so you're going through high school. You got your buddies. You're having some fun. I mean, every teenager, I want them to have fun, right? Explore life. Yeah. You know, you, it's all new. You're having fun, especially in a place like Miami, right? You got great weather. You got a beach. You got beautiful. I mean, it's just beautiful there, right? So, um, but as you turn the corner and you're getting done with high school. It, then what did you decide to do? Oh, I went to um, I went to college in in Miami at FIU, um, which is Florida International University. It's a large a public 
university in our city. Um, you know, like most college students, the first couple of years, you know, wasn't sure exactly what I wanted to do, what I wanted to be. Sure. Decided to study finance. Um, certainly did well in the second half of my um, academic career at FIU. I started off, um, like I said, you know, in high school was kind of a bit of a rebel and, and you know, probably didn't focus as much on academics as I did uh, later on uh, in, in college. And then I sort of turned it on midway through when I understood that, you know, for me to have a career, I had to really apply myself. Right. And so started doing that. Uh, graduated was there the a particular, 10%. sorry to interrupt, but was no. there a particular teacher or a course or, you know, sometimes in life there's a spark or there's something like, hey, I'm pretty good at that. I actually do like this. You know, you, you can't know, fake remember, your way through something you don't really like. Yeah, I remember the moment exactly. So there was, I was looking through the, um, uh, so one of the I wanted to I decided I wanted to be a lawyer um, and and study the law and and that it would be a good profession for me and wanting to be a real estate lawyer. Uh, my father was also a lawyer, but he was a litigator. And you know I, I remember going through the books of what it would take to get into a good law school, and I was always pretty good at math. And I started doing the calculations on my GPA and what it would take to get into this particular school that I wanted to get into. And I realized that I had to get basically a 4.0 every single semester between that moment and, <laughs> and my graduation to, to, right. to make it in the range of GPA that they were accepting. And I had never done that before. I had never actually gotten a 4.0 that I could recall academically. So I, I, I decided at that moment that I was going to overdo it in terms of what I needed to do to prepare myself for the classes. And uh, as a means of ensuring that I would get a 4.0 because I couldn't, I couldn't get anything below that. And, uh, you know, so I, I actually uh, recorded, tape recorded the classes. So I would actually go to the class, tape recorded the class, and I would listen to the class again. Um, and I just remember uh, getting very, very close to a 4.0 from that point forward. Um, and I remember one particular class, which was anatomy, where I set the curve on a class of like 200 plus students. And it was like a huge delta between um, the grade that I got and, and the next highest grade. It kind of messed up the curve for everybody. Um, but I remember just believing and understanding that, A, uh, you don't have to be successful. You know, not every success story is one that begins like at adolescence. And B, you know, if you apply yourself and you decide you want to be successful and you go above and beyond and you put in the work, um, oftentimes you will be successful. And I think that those are two big lessons that I learned at that moment. Yeah, you know, and part of success is, uh, you know, falling down, right? And, uh, and learning to overcome obstacles and get back up. Did you have, like, in the early formative years, did you have experiences like that? Like, that they were hard and difficult at the time, but, boy, did you learn from those? Yeah, you know, I think I think you always have moments like that. that were, I'm a... I, I'm a um, uh, religious person. Mm -hmm. And so for me, uh, I remember many moments of wanting to spend alone time with God and sort of, you know, say, hey, you know, I'm not sure I understand exactly what's going on in this particular moment, or, you know, I'm not sure that I understand exactly what your path is for me, but I'm here to listen. I'm here to follow it, um, you know, do with me as you will. And I think there were moments like that. Um, the first one that I can recall politically uh, was when I decided to run for mayor in 2013 for, you know, I was a councilman and I was, I was young. I was 34 years old and I, uh, 
um, you know, was running against the incumbent who was, you know, popular, but he was in my dad's uh, uh, generation. And I thought he was kind of unspectacular. You know, he's just a guy that would go to meetings and he didn't really have any innovative ideas. And I just thought I could do a better job. And, um, you know, we were we were doing well in that year in that campaign. And all of a sudden we had a stumble and, you know, it was tough. And, 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 and my wife and I at the time had been dealing with infertility um, and we had decided, you know, that we weren't going to going to use certain methods that uh, that our religion didn't allow us to do. Um, and, and, and we found, so that week that we had that stumble, the following Sunday was Father's Day. Um, and we found out that day on Father's Day that we were going to have our first child, which turned out to be my son, Andrew. Hmm. And uh, it just was was one of those moments where, you know, you realize that you, know, you have a plan for yourself. And oftentimes God has a different plan. And the second part of it is when you stumble, like you're like you're saying, you know, that that, that stumble may seem like something really bad at the moment. It may seem like something unsurmountable uh, or um, just incredibly intense. But oftentimes when you look back on that moment, you're A, thankful that it happened. You B, learn a tremendous amount. And C, you realize that God had another plan. And so it's just about a matter of accepting that. And it's hard sometimes because when you're in the moment, it's hard. You're listening to Jason in the House. We'll be back with more right after this. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. It is difficult sometimes to to understand and then and then just like, oh, you know, you just want to kind of give up or throw it away or, you know, move to something else and try, find the, the path of least resistance. But, you know, that's not where grit and um, fortitude and everything else is born. Right. It's, it's, it's born in, in those, in those tough moments. Help me understand those discussions with your wife, um, about deciding to run. I mean, now you've, you know, bitten yeah. off the big one, right? Let's go run for president, but you know, running <laughs> yeah. for your first political office, um, and running for mayor, um, those, those are big jumps too. What was that discussion like? Did you come home and say, Hey honey, guess what? I got a good idea. Let's do politics, you know, yeah. and how did that go over with her? So it's interesting, you know, um, we were married for a short period of time before I decided to run the first time, right? I mm -hmm. was 30 years old and we had been married. I think I was 29 when we were married. So we were, we, we had only been married for about a year. I mean, she knew, I, you know, my, my, my dad was in politics sure, sure, and it wasn't something that I particularly always loved because I had seen how difficult uh, it can be for someone. My dad was, is a great, great story. And, uh, so it wasn't like a something that I was predestined to do or that I knew for sure that I wanted to do in many, many respects, I didn't want to do it. Um, but I felt like I was a member of my community. You know, I had had some things happen to me that are, you know, emblematic of what most people go through. Um, you know, when they think about running for office, you know, someone had broken into my house. Um, you know, I had, I had been involved as, on the neighborhood association level on a zoning issue uh, as a pro bono lawyer for the association. So. I got involved and I, and I remember just getting to an inflection point in my life. I, I was a small business owner. Um, I had a business with my, my cousin 
And I didn't have children at the time, obviously. And, and I just remember thinking to myself, you know, in life, you have two choices. You can complain about problems or you can do something about it. And I just had the conversation with her. And I think we've always had the kind of marriage. We're actually tomorrow um, going to be having our 16 year anniversary tomorrow. Congratulations. So, thanks. So, you know, I, we've always had the kind of marriage where we've tried to fulfill each other's hopes and dreams. And it's kind of like one of the deals that we made with each other. Right. And so we never want to stand in the way of things that that we're that we're excited about doing. Um, and, I, and I feel like that's a promise we both try to keep to each other. Um, and, and, and so when I decided to do this or, or think about it, she was hugely supportive, um, I, when I first ran and I, and, you know, when I first ran, I was, uh, you know, I was unknown, uh, like, like now not nationally, sort of relatively speaking. And I ran against someone who was well-known, um, better, uh, establishment candidate. Right. Uh, I remember my first poll, he was at 35 or 34 and I was at nine. So it was a, you know, 25 point difference. And I had actually been running for a year prior to that. And this is, you know, he was union endorsed. I had no union support, no establishment support. And I had to come back um, from that. And and I ended up beating him by 260 votes. So I, I, I <laughs> was that close. Whoa. 260 votes. So I, I tell people all the time, listen, if 131 people would have changed their mind, we probably wouldn't be having this conversation. Yeah, <laughs> no, that's true. And look, Miami's a big city. What? Why do you think you ultimately were able to pull it off? I mean, that's the tough part, right? Well, you know, building name ID, making sure yeah, you have the money council. that you need. What, what was, was the difference? So that was my council election. And then, like I said, in 13, that was in 09. And then, you know, the city was bankrupt. Um, and I led the charge to cut expenses, um, by 20% to balance our budget, which is exactly what we need to cut now at the federal level. And, um, uh, you know, so I, I've often said that the courage that it takes to make some tough choices doesn't depend on the number of zeros. So we, so I did that. I, I led that charge. We balanced our budget. Um, and then, like I said, I was going to run in 2013. I ended up, uh, we ended up getting pregnant. I decided not to stay in that race because my wife had gotten pregnant. And then I ran in 2017 uh, when that particular mayor was termed out, which was my predecessor, and I won by 85%. So that race wow. uh, yeah. was different. But I, but but I learned, you know, what I learned from 13 was, look, again, in 13, I was in a dogfight. And, you know, maybe I would have won, maybe I would have lost, who knows. But the fact that I had the patience and God gave me the wisdom to wait, um, he had something far greater in mind for me um, than than what I would have pushed myself through ambition for. So I, I think you've got to you've got to listen. Uh, sometimes it's hard to listen because we always, as leaders, we want to talk. We're A type personalities, you know. We want to we want to sure. do instead of reflect. But I think reflection and listening is a huge um, part of leadership and 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 good decision making. Why the? I mean, you're you're outside of florida you're pretty well not known in the in the united states it's I like that a, double a short fuse until until we have the uh, election here how do you think you can pull this off in running for president my view and vision of this race was the following right uh, obviously the former president is in the sort of pole position in the um driver's seat if you will Right. And, and then I think for me, the question was, 
And it always comes down to this question, right? What do voters want? Do the voters want a repeat of the 2020 election, right? The same two candidates. And I think when you when you look at the polling on that, oftentimes you see that the answer is they don't, even though uh, the former president is in the dominant polling position. Um, and then the question is, if you if you don't want that, what are you looking for? And so I think for me, what I what I saw in my candidacy and my unique set of qualifications was a contrasting offering to the voters that I believe nobody else offered. And I think that was from the perspective of A, experience, B, vision, and C, ability to grow the party uh, in a way that will not just win the 2024 election, but could win a generational election. So when you start with experience, like I said, I'm the only candidate that has cut a public sector budget by 20%, uh, which is where we have to cut the federal budget. I'm the only candidate that has created an ecosystem uh, of prosperity at any level uh, that is, uh, you know, that is significant, right? In terms of uh, being, a create, you know, running a city that has, we just grew 14% last year, right? We, we, are, uh, we have the lowest unemployment in America. Um, we have the highest wage growth in America. And so we're a city... Uh, and and that has had implications for uh, safety, right? We have uh, the lowest per capita homicide rate since 1964, and this year we're 40%. I just looked at the numbers today. We're 40% below last year's number. So we we have an incredible story to tell. And if we get if we're able to get the volume, which is why I always ask people to go on my my website at francisuarez.com and just donate a dollar because that get, puts me on the debate stage potentially to get the volume to tell the story. Then we can focus on the future of America. And the future of America is balance our budget, solve the immigration crisis, confront China. Um, and I think I'm also the best candidate to do all three of those things. Uh, and I think, you know, in, in any election, your hope is that your message penetrates, right? And listen, I can say for every single candidate that's running, that's their strategy too, right? They think my unique message is the one that should penetrate and it's the one that should win. Um, obviously, some are in a better position than others, but listen, some have started in a better position than I did and are going in the wrong direction. And some you know, are starting in a position like I did, and my job is to push this candidacy in the right direction. So I think the next big opportunity, like I said, is... Um, the August 23rd debate where we'll get volume and then I have to execute, right? I have to execute in every opportunity that I have. And I'm very grateful to you for this opportunity because this is an opportunity for me to uh, get better known uh, with your audience and for them to say, Hey, we like what this guy has to say. We think it's very reasonable, very logical. He's got a great track record. Maybe we should give him a chance. Maybe we should hear some more uh, about what he thinks he can do for our country. So if you're a voter in, say, Iowa or New Hampshire or South Carolina or Nevada, you know, states that go early on in the process, yes. and you're out there looking at, you know, uh, Donald Trump or Ron DeSantis or Vivek Ramaswamy, and then yeah. they see Francis Suarez, how do they negotiate those four and be able to say, yeah, this is this is the person that I think can help lead our country? What, what are they going to... What, what would you... To, to me, it's easy. To me, it's easy, and I'll tell you why. Mm -hmm. um, Vivek and uh, DeSantis uh, both are kind of tr are, are kind of like they're, they're drafting Trump, right? They have the same essential qualities as Donald Trump. 
they're not that distinguishable in terms of their positions. I don't. I, I see. I see them having a hard time contrasting themselves uh, with the former president. Uh, in my particular case, you know, I take some of what's uh, the best of, of Vivek in terms of having a private sector background because um, I can be a working mayor and then and then a lot better public sector success than the governor because you know I've actually cut taxes right I've actually um, dealt with a financial crisis and turned my city around I've actually built an ecosystem I can actually expand the party right uh, in terms of uh, being able to potentially get uh, urban voters like I've done in Miami or young voters because I'm, I'm uh, young and project to the youth, uh, which we lost, by the way, to Joe Biden by 26 points, voters under 30. And then Hispanics, right? Um, um, I'm the first candidate that's going to Puerto Rico, going now in early August. Um, and, and I think it's there's there is a tremendous opportunity for Republicans to get more Hispanics if we understand how to communicate with them. We know that Democrats have been extremely negligent in how they've communicated to Hispanics uh, by calling them Latinx. Um, and then, you know, with right. the first lady going and saying that they're as unique as San Antonio tacos, right? That obviously does not resonate uh, with- I still can't believe she said that, but she did. It, and it was written out in advance. That's what's amazing to me about it. No, it is. And it's, it's amazing that somebody would have put her in that position and that she actually <laughs> went through with it, right? Uh, but, I, but I think it, it goes to show the disconnection, right? I mean, there's a disconnection for someone to write that, for someone to say that means that there is a, a significant disconnection between um, uh, how you communicate with Hispanics and what Hispanics want to hear, which, by the way, Jason, I think is just a great opportunity for us as, as Republicans. You know, Hispanics are law abiding. They're pro family. They're pro America. Right. And they want um, they want someone who a can communicate with them who b understands the nuances of their culture and c can articulate a vision for the future so that they and their children can be prosperous right i think that's really what hispanics want and i think if 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 the republicans put up a candidate like that they're going to be successful let's say you're able to prevail what what are the first maybe two or three things you want to see done there at the white house I think the first thing we need to do is is we need to balance our budget. So we need to have a serious conversation on how we balance our budget. Um, we have uh, historic inflation, historic uh, high interest rates, uh, and, you know, or, or historic growth in interest rates over the last, uh, you know, the last few months, and 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 it's all based on bad policy. Um, so I think we need to start living back in reality, which is what every single homeowner does in this country which is what every single government other than the federal government does right we you know like i said we i was inherited i inherited a broken and bankrupt city and now today uh, under my leadership we have reduced taxes we have grown by double digits uh we uh, have the highest annual surplus and and the, the overall surplus and the highest bond rating in history so it takes discipline you know tough choices but it's all doable then I think we need to focus on the border, right? The border is a human trafficking and fentanyl crisis. Um, in terms of fentanyl, it's the equivalent of a 747 crashing every single day. Um, and we're not treating it as that kind of a crisis. And then number three, I think we need to reestablish, start reestablishing relationships across, uh, the, you know, across the world. We have fractured all of our relationships in the Middle East. Obviously, we've projected weakness 
which has led to aggression by both Xi Jinping and Vladimir Putin, uh, which is um, creating all kinds of dynamic problems for us in terms of what we do with Taiwan and, and Ukraine. Uh, but I think it starts, frankly, for me, in the Middle East. I mean, we've, we're in a place in the Middle East where we have almost no friends, which is not the way that it was. We're at odds with, you know, the Biden administration's at odds with Bibi in Israel. Um, he went and called the prime minister of Saudi Arabia, the, the crown prince a pariah, and then went over and asked him to um, increase oil production so that they could reduce gas prices in advance of the midterm so he could do yeah. better in the midterms. I mean, that's not true friendship. This is when I talk about friendship, right? Um, in terms of UAE, you know, uh, asked them to criticize Iran while, while Obama was back during the Iran uh, nuclear deal. So it, it, it's just the kind of stuff that you don't do uh, with your friends. So I would I would immediately try to uh, jumpstart Abraham Accord talks between Saudi and Israel, which would help us in our relationship with Israel and with Saudi, reestablish America's uh, position as a, a, a broker of peace. Uh, we just saw recently China broker peace between Iran and, and Saudi. That's not where we want to be in terms of uh, uh, what we see China doing. And of course, uh, we've got to uh, deal with the fact that China has gone from a spy base in Cuba to um, you know, a military uh, training base and, and, and using the ports that they've been investing in through the Belt and Road Initiative uh, to potentially have forward-looking uh, bases, which would create bases in, in, in places as close as the Bahamas. Yeah. Um, that, that would be completely untenable. Um, and, and again, it's, it's a very, very scary world that we live in, and we're going to need strong leadership that understands how to create a prosperous generational economy for us to continue to compete and not and not go backwards as a you know the world's um, most powerful economy. You're listening to Jason in the House. We'll be back with more right after this. Listen, I wish you nothing but the best in this quest. I I really Thank you, I, I think you're a voice that needs to be listened to and and uh, and you've earned that. But. Um, I also know that we can't get you through the end of this podcast without uh, asking you some rapid questions. This is just fun stuff, okay? Just fun stuff. If you haven't heard the podcast before, we have a little fun with this. Um, let's just kick things off with uh, what's the first concert you attended? First concert I attended uh, probably was um, Phil Collins. It's probably my guess. In My Miami? I'm guessing in Miami? Yes. Miami. See, that's the nice yes. thing about being in Miami, right? You get all the big acts coming to, coming yeah. to town. That's good. Yep. What was your high school mascot? The Royal Lion. The Royal Lion, huh? Yeah, yeah a lot of lions, I, I guess. The Lion was royal, but it was yeah. a Royal Lion. That's what they call them, the Sows, the Royal Lions. <laughs> all right. Uh, favorite vegetable? Favorite vegetable? I'd have to go with broccoli or, yeah, I'd have to go with broccoli. That's good because most of the people we interview on this podcast can't name a vegetable. So that's <laughs> that's impressive okay. right there. And if you're going to be a president, you know, you get asked every question. And, you know, that's right. George H.W. Bush, he hated broccoli and you like broccoli. So that's a I there's do. a distinction right My there. Wife makes it very, very, you know, if it's, you know, nowadays I think they've made it more tasty. You know, it is. So, uh, I actually like broccoli. I don't I don't have a problem with broccoli. I like Brussels sprouts. But, you know, that's another I like Brussels discussion. sprouts, too. I like Brussels sprouts. <laughs> uh, first job, 
like first one, not your mom and dad saying, "Hey, Francis, so go I'm take out the garbage." The two, I'm going to tell you the first two because the first one is not glamorous, but the second one's a little more glamorous. Okay. So the first one, uh, I was 14. I don't know if it's even legal, <laughs> you know, but okay. I was working at a law firm in an accounting department. Um, so that wasn't particularly glamorous. But um, my second job, which was really cool, was working for something down here called the Sequarium, which is like a Sea World type of. Yeah. Yeah. So I used to feed uh the crocodiles the manatees um <laughs> the sharks the parrots i mean it was a lot of fun i love animals and um uh it was just a, i mean it was you know when you work in a one of those uh theme parks you know it's it's fun it's a, it's a happy go lucky kind of experience for a 15 year old who's trying to make a little bit of money during the summers yeah, put on your boots, uh, strap on, and uh, get that smelly fish in front of them, the seaweed or whatever else they're eating. Yeah, what does a manatee spend eat? Minutes, spend 30 minutes washing your hands after work. Yeah, it still probably lives with you, exactly. That's right. Uh, what's your superpower? And what I mean by that is something that you can do, like, I'm actually pretty good at this. Like, what is that for you? Uh, so I love weightlifting, working out, you know, okay. being into CrossFit. Yeah. For my age, uh, I think you know. I think I think I'd surprise people by my bench press. What 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 would it be? On a one rep max? Yeah, I think I, I think I'm like in the two ninety five to three fifteen. That's good. Range. That, that's that's impressive. Yeah, I weigh about one hundred and eighty pounds. So yeah. it's, it's, that's it's almost, really impressive. Almost yeah. two times my body weight. I yeah, mean, that's not bad. Yeah. Um, I, did you have a pet growing up? I had all kinds of pets growing up, um, dogs, snakes, um, you know, probably had birds at one point or another. But, yeah, I've, I've had all kinds of pets growing up. If you could meet, if you could call up your wife and say, hey, honey, guess what? We got a special treat. Um, anybody in history, dead or alive, okay, you can invite them over to have, have, have a meal. They're coming over for dinner. You're going to break some bread together. Who would you invite to come join you? Uh, more than one person or just one person? Yeah, I'm, it's open-ended. Okay, so uh, obviously Jesus, uh, that would be uh, number one. You know, probably a lot of great biblical figures, uh, you know, Peter, uh, Moses, uh, Samson, you know, a lot, a lot of the great uh, sort of biblical leaders, uh, certainly Winston Churchill would be one who I would want to meet. Um, you know, and, and, and I'm sure... Um, I probably would invite John Paul II, even though he's, uh, you know, he was alive during my lifetime. I actually never personally got to met, meet him. Um, but yeah, there's, um, th those are probably some of the people that I would have, that I would have yeah, invited. That's good. That's interesting. Um, pineapple on pizza, yes or no? No. Yeah, good answer, Mayor. I'm just, I'm really impressed. You know, no, so man. many people get this question wrong, but you got it no, right. Man. The judges no, like man. this answer. Good, good on you. And it was uh, like, you know, like a firm answer there. Yeah, yeah exactly. Be definitive. No, no wishy was There was conviction. There was conviction behind that one. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right. Last question. Best advice you ever got? Best advice I ever got? Yeah. I think the best advice I've ever gotten is sort of related to my, my religious conversion. And, 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 you know, it was probably when I was in high school and, and, and it was essentially to, to, to maintain a connection with, with God, Jesus, um, through prayer. 
is probably the best advice I ever got. I mean, there's a lot of, I mean, if you, if you go anywhere on social media, you're constantly getting advice, right? It's like, a, right. you know, social media has become like a, a uh, so there's a lot of a lot of interesting things, good sayings, you know, inspirational stuff. But I think the best advice I ever got was to build a relationship with a spiritual relationship. I think that's that's what's driven my success. That's what's driven my resiliency. That's what's led me to my wife, who I now am going to celebrate 16 years of marriage with. That's what's allowed me to persevere and 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 have faith that I would eventually have children. Um, and now really try to enjoy them on a day-to-day -day basis. And that, that's what kind of tries to keep me humble and grounded um, in a world that's obviously super materialistic and, and always pushing you to to focus on material things, um, you know, and helps me focus on, on things that are more meaningful. So I, I think that's the best advice I ever got. No, I think it's great advice. Get down on your knees, pray. Amen. It just uh, brings a spirit that is helpful. Hard times, good times. Just your average day. I mean, it's just it, it's it and and you get in that pattern and it's so helpful and you never know you you know it's sometimes like whoa that was that was hmm, that's interesting. I, I would I would say one thing. I would I would tell your listeners to do two things. One is read Rudyard Kipling's poem If. Okay. And I would and I would tell them to. I'm sure they've already read this many times, but a Theodore Roosevelt's Man in the Arena. You know, yeah. I think. Those two, um, the poem and, and the man, and of course, Robert Frost, uh, Road Less Traveled, um, is another good one. But 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 the if one in particular, when you, you just sort of touched on something that, that struck with me, which is to treat triumph and disaster as the same impostors, right? The, the high mm -hmm. achievement and, 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 and defeat, right? The, 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 those are just moments and, and things that happen to you, but, um, you know, you can determine uh, what they do for you or to you and i think that's part of that is obviously a spiritual journey for sure well mayor i really appreciate you joining us and spending the time I, I really i'm very sincere i i wish you nothing but the best here thank you Jason. francis suarez you can go to uh I, I see that your website also goes to it's time we get started.com um but we can also go to francis suarez.com is right, that's right as well yeah and we have a special promotion i think uh, that we're doing until tomorrow, if I'm not mistaken, which is uh, uh, if you Venmo a dollar at Suarez 2024, you can enter uh, into a giveaway of two tickets to Messi's first game, which is tomorrow. Oh, wow. So. wow. Yeah, Messi coming to town. You got some things going on in Miami. Yeah, a lot of things going on, brother. We can talk for a long time. <laughs> no, Messi coming to play in Miami is awesome. I, I got to tell you, it's, it's great for U.S. soccer. I'm a huge soccer fan. So. Yep. Really um, yeah, that's great. Mayor, thank you again. We really do appreciate it. And uh, thanks Anytime, for joining Jason, us on the Jason in the House podcast. Yeah, All right. Thank you. All right. I can't thank the good mayor enough for taking the time and making the effort and sharing his perspective and his stories and his, you know, his history and his energy with us on uh, the Jason in the House podcast. Really do appreciate that. Uh, hoping you can uh, rate this uh, podcast, subscribe to it. I want to remind people that they can listen ad-free with a Fox News Podcast Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts. And Amazon Prime members can listen to this show ad-free on the Amazon Music app. Uh, really do appreciate you uh, you uh, joining us. And uh, also want to remind you that you can go over to foxnewspodcast.com. Check out some of my colleagues' podcasts. There's some good ones out there. Will Kane and 
and uh, Trey Gowdy and uh, Ben Dominich. Uh, there's all sorts of them. Uh, Shannon Bream's got one out there. So please have a look at those. And uh, again, rate this one if you can. Uh, we'll be back with more next week. Hope, hope you're able to join us. I'm Jason Chaffetz, and this has been Jason in the House. Pull up a chair and join me, Rachel Campos Duffy. And me, former U.S. Congressman Sean Duffy, as we share our perspective on the discussions happening at kitchen tables across America. Download from the kitchen table, the Duffy's at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you download podcasts.